you to notice that great celebrations are often born out of great challenges. Let me say that again. Great celebrations are often born out of great challenges. We might put it another way to simply say the harder the journey, the sweeter and the happier the arrival. Consider briefly just a few modern examples this morning. May 8, 1945, also known as VE Day. On that important date, May 8, 1945, the Allied forces led by the heroic sacrifice of the men and women of the United States Armed Forces accomplished the complete and unconditional surrender of Nazi Germany. Victory in Europe was secured. Hitler's long and bloody reign of terror was now finally over. Immediately, instantaneously, celebrations erupted across Europe and throughout North America. But there was a steep price to pay in the blood of men and women. An astounding price of more than 550,000 lives between June 1944 and May 8, 1945, less than one year. A great sacrifice sparked a great celebration. Or what of February 8, 2018, on a completely different level, mind you, when the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl 52 victory parade down Broad Street occurred. After more than 50 years of waiting, and some would say 50 years of losing, Eagles fans were rewarded with uh, a raucous and spirited celebration after your Philadelphia Eagles won their first ever Super Bowl title in unforgettable fashion over another evil empire known as the New England Patriots led by then quarterback Tom Brady. Ironically, today the Eagles will beat the Patriots again uh, just after 425 this afternoon. <laughs> a great wait and a great victory ignited a great parade. Think for a moment about your own high school or college graduations, or perhaps the grand opening of your own first business venture, or perhaps the day when you finally moved in your first family home, or perhaps your retirement. Chances are, along the way, you've likely enjoyed a really good party that was made all the merrier on account of the hard work and difficult work that you had to go through to get there. The fact of the matter is hard work makes for happy days. Today is one of those days for us, Trinity Bible Fellowship Church. Today is really a milestone moment in the nearly 140-year history of Trinity BFC. But today we are not celebrating our accomplishments or achievements. No, we are celebrating the Lord God's. You see, this party, this dedication, is all about His praise and His glory. Just over five long years ago, depending upon how you reckon this process, we collectively stepped out in faith and committed ourselves to the task of building additional space for expanded ministry to the glory of Almighty God. And now, after countless planning meetings, after long hours of prayer and several days of fasting, 
after hundreds of thousands of dollars sacrificially given and a whole lot of patience. These efforts have culminated in a moment. They have culminated in a day of thanksgiving and praise of our God and of partying as we dedicate this new Family Life Center to the Lord. Praise His holy name. But this road has not been an easy one. The road to our rejoicing today has not been easy. Sadly, we have lost key leaders and loved ones who've played a pivotal role in launching this great endeavor. And I'll just name two specifically. Our brother, Mark Cryer, his wife, Kay, son, Brandon, Alexis and Forrest are with us. Richard and Joanne, Mark's parents are with us this morning. Thank you for being here. We know how much you, how much this day means to you as a family as we remember Mark. Another brother, Carl Bolognese, uh, his sweet wife, Dottie, continues to be with us today. These two brothers and others as well were with us when we began, but they are not with us at the arrival. But they are now cheering us on from the grandstands of glory as we celebrate God's faithfulness to us here today. We had quite a few bumps along the way to building this beautiful new ministry center. Some of you will remember that after a little more than a year into our own self-directed stewardship campaign, the world and even our own fundraising efforts were shut down due to COVID-19. Not knowing the extent or the duration or the financial implications of this global pandemic upon this congregation, the elders wisely, I think, slowed the pace and eased back on the throttle of building. And to be perfectly honest with you, there were a few significant moments when I thought the dream was lost. But God had greater plans. Oh, me, of little faith, we serve a God who is great and he is worthy. We emerged from the hiatus with a stark and difficult choice, either give up or go all in. Thankfully, the elders sought the Lord and again decided January 2022 was the time to give all of our plans totally and completely to God. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 3, to commit commit your work to the Lord and he will establish your plans. And boy, did God ever establish them. On January the 30th, 2022, after a month of prayer and preaching about biblical stewardship, this congregation pledged nearly $2.2 million towards the construction costs of the Family Life Center. When added to what had already been contributed from the beginning of this process, we were essentially fully funded at the time. We know that things have changed a little bit. uh, To our project cost of approximately $2.9 million. Again, God was obviously and clearly at work among us. By God's grace, we finally broke ground on this project, as you saw in the video, about a year later in February of 2023, this year. Seven months later, a few ulcers and sleepless nights later, we are here at our own building dedication. Praise the Lord. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Friends, there is a scene in the book of Nehemiah specifically in Nehemiah chapter 12, that I believe is quite fitting for this special occasion. It's a story about joy on the walls of Jerusalem. In fact, it's an enduring reminder, especially to those who think they have cause 
for celebration or reason for rejoicing that as God's beloved and treasured people, while we might have a hand in doing the work, God alone gets the credit. God gets the glory for the walls going up. You see, hard work does make for truly happy days. But days are only truly happy when they are wholly devoted and wholly dedicated unto the Lord. Nehemiah 12 verse 43 is a verse that I think captures the joy and sheer jubilation of a group of Jews celebrating on that particular dedication day so many years ago. We read here again in the text, and they, that is, who are they? They are the remnant of returnees from exile back to Jerusalem under Nehemiah's leadership. The scripture says, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Not their shouts, but their joy was heard far away. Notice that Nehemiah records in his journal that upon the completion of the wall, and here's a picture of perhaps what that might have looked like. It measured less than two miles, by the way, uh, not really encompassing the entire uh, city of Jerusalem, as certainly as we understand it today, but King David's city, for sure. It was completed in just about 52 days' time. We find that in Nehemiah 6, verse 15, that here we're told the people offered great sacrifices and responded with great joy. Even the women and children joining in the celebration, which I think is a manner of speaking, saying that everybody got involved with the party. Everyone got involved with the party, such that the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Is Nehemiah exaggerating, or, he is, or is he drawing emphasis to what happened? I think he's drawing emphasis. He's not embellishing. He's not exaggerating. He is trying to capture the joy of the city for what had happened that day. You see, a great work resulted in a great offering of worship which itself served as a great witness or testimony to the power of a great God. That's what we see in Nehemiah chapter 12. But what was the big deal? Why such a celebration? I mean, why all the weeping, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4, when he heard the state of the walls in the city? Why all the weeping people of Israel after the reading of God's word in Nehemiah chapter 8 and they hear God's word again and their hearts are pricked with the word of God? Why all the weeping? Why all the weeping over these tattered and broken down and really sort of ugly looking walls? Why all the hubbub? Why all the hullabaloo over these simple stones? And why, as we'll see in just a few moments today, do we see a grand procession and a meticulous purification and a musical parade and even these godly provisions being offered at the completion of Nehemiah's wall. In other words, what are the lessons for faith pilgrims today from God's people in ancient times? Well, for starters, I think we need to understand something this morning, that the walls of Jerusalem were more than mere stuff. They were more than mortar, brick, and stone, these walls meant something special to God's precious people, Israel. First, so long as the walls were in a state of disrepair, God's people were in a state of great danger. They were in a state of great danger. You see, the finished walls 
meant enhanced security. The finished walls meant greater peace and needed protection from the long list of enemies that wanted to see the city of Jerusalem remain in utter ruins and shame. Again, as was typical in the ancient world, if you had a city and you had no wall, you had no chance. The wall was essential. And the walls of Jerusalem, friends, are a symbolic symbol of the city's safety and security. And that's a reason why there's great rejoicing at their completion. But secondly, and perhaps just as significantly, if not more so, the completion of the city walls were themselves a tangible reminder that even though the people had sinned greatly against their God and had gone into exile for so many years, God's favor, even God's promises still were with them. God had not forsaken his people. So long as the walls were left unfinished, the temple, that is, the place of God's manifest presence there in Jerusalem, we could say was also unfinished. For more than 50 years, since the commencement of the rebuilding of the temple with Ezra, the walls of Jerusalem had lay in ruin. Nehemiah was the leader of the third wave of returnees, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and then Nehemiah. But wall and temple, commerce and worship, people and presence were inseparably connected in the hearts and minds of God's people. The walls were a solid symbol of God's enduring blessing and presence among the people of Israel. And third... The completion of the walls on the 25th day of Elul, we're told, which ironically enough is early September, 445 BC, meant that God's word for Israel, for king and for kingdom, for city and for community still stood strong. They had a hope for their future. The condition of the walls meant the Lord's rule over the Jews from Jerusalem still had a chance, still had hope. Babylon might have been in power, Rome or the Greece after them, Rome after them, but God is the one who rules the world. So the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob had not forsaken them. The promises of Jeremiah 29 still abide. Let me just read. This is a verse that one of our baptismal candidates, I think it was Leah, read earlier. Jeremiah 29 and 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. God was keeping his promises. Friend, you only need to glance back into one of Israel's royal books, one of the anthologies of Israel's history, specifically to 2 Kings chapter 25, in order to understand why there was such joy on the walls in Jerusalem that day. 140 years prior to early September 445, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've heard of his name before, and the armies of Babylon sacked Jerusalem. They slaughtered the sons of Judah's king, Zedekiah. They gouged the eyes out of Judah's king, 
his, his eyes, and decimated the capital city of Jerusalem. By the way, kind of in, uh, interesting, Trinity Bible Fellowship Church first began to meet in 1884. Next year will be our 140th anniversary. Imagine the connection or the time between when Trinity first began to meet in Blandon and what we are seeing God do in our day here now. Listen to what 2 Kings 25, 8 and following says. 140 years prior to the rebuilding of the walls, in the fifth month of the seventh day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and every great house he burned down. And the, all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem. And the rest of the people who left, were left in the city and the, and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon together with the rest of the multitude, uh, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. There it is, friends. There's the statement of the, of the breaking down of the walls of Jerusalem. Imagine if Philadelphia, Philadelphia, the United States capital at the time in 1883, for example, 140 years from this year, had been torched. Imagine if Philadelphia had been torched and the defensive walls of the city uh, had been broken down only to be rebuilt now. Imagine that. What sort of party, what sort of celebration or dedication service do you think we would see today? I think the pomp and the pageantry would be unbelievable. That's the sort of time, just to give you a reference, that had transpired between the breaking down of the walls and the rebuilding of the walls. In summary, the city walls lay in such a sad and miserable state. For more than 140 years, this was a major national and religious embarrassment for the people of God. And so the rebuilding of the walls, understandably so, was an emotional and monumental occasion for for God's people, meaning that his plans for the Jews were not forsaken. His intentions for them were not over or finished. Those amassed on the city walls in Jerusalem that day in 445 B.C. bore witness to to Israel's enemies that their God was still on the throne. Let me ask you, about these walls. What do these walls mean for you and for me? The ones just outside those red doors, which represent the blood of Jesus that we walk in each and every day. What do those walls that we are dedicating to the Lord mean to you and I this morning? What joyous message will these walls and this celebration today send to our own neighbors and friends and classmates and coworkers? Anything? We've been referring to this new expansion for some time as a family life center. But why so? Well, listen, as we dedicate this new space to the Lord, we do so with a conviction that we are, by God's grace, in Christ, a spiritual family of believers. We have intentionally selected the name of this new space. We are a family who belong to God together by the work of the Holy Spirit. We are his family 
to accomplish his purposes in our day. Second, this space, also in addition to serving as a family, is a tangible testimony of the fact that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through him. John 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And so the message that we want our friends and guests and others to hear today is that Jesus Christ uniquely, Jesus Christ alone is life. You must know him to know life. Jesus is real life. But thirdly, these walls now stand as a constant reminder to those of us who gather here. That Trinity is a space for grace. That it is a place for ministry to one another, building up. And it is a mission to the lost for reaching out. Family, life, and it is a center for ministry. It is not a place for us to spoil ourselves or to use just for ourselves. It is to be a mission center to reach new people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. These walls remind us of what God has done for us and what God is doing among us, and what God wants to do through us. What message will today's celebration and dedication send to a watching world? Will they hear our joy at all? Will it be heard in the neighborhoods of Blandon? Will it be remembered in the streets of Fleetwood? Or will we simply huddle together and pat ourselves on the back in some small and pathetic way, uh, doting over our own man-sized accomplishments? May it never be. I want to close this morning with giving you four key things that I think flow right out of this passage that were timely for Nehemiah and his community, and they are timely for you and I here this morning. Four key observations of the joy on the wall of Jerusalem. Notice firstly, that a day of true dedication requires the purification of the participants. Purification. It was Chuck Swindoll who put it this way, holiness must precede happiness. Holiness precedes happiness. There is no sense in dedicating this building if the people, you and I, who occupy it are going to be anything but pure and holy to the Lord. We should just pack it up and go home. God does not inhabit buildings in the new covenant. He inhabits or dwells in the heart's of rescued people in the new covenant. And so as we dedicate this space, we must remember that we are the ones being consecrated in Christ, not the building itself. We are being rededicated unto the Lord and to his service. Notice how Nehemiah captures this beginning in verse 27. After all these dignitaries, the Levites and the singers were summoned to Jerusalem We read, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places, those are the priests, and to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. This was no small party, friends. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and uh, Asmatheth, For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. And they purified the people and the gates and the wall. 
True dedication requires the purification of God's people. Now let's make something clear. We are no longer under the Old Testament ceremonial laws and rituals with all of their regulations and uh, sacrifice of blood and special water to, uh, to consecrate things. That day has been fulfilled in Christ. But we have already witnessed a new covenant ritual, ironically enough, here this morning. Namely, Christian baptism. Christian baptism. You see, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 links the ordinance of Christian baptism with the reality of purification. When Peter writes, baptism, which corresponds to this, referencing to God's rescuing grace of Noah and his family amid the flood, this baptism now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Likewise, the writer of the book of Hebrews, you'll notice in Hebrews chapter 9, among other places, connects faith in the perfect once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus with our own purification and consecration before God. What does Peter say of this group and of all true Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2? He says that we are a kingdom of priests, a holy people, a royal priesthood, a people devoted for his presence. Thus, we must be consecrated. We must be purified, and by the blood of Jesus, we have been. A God-honoring celebration and effective dedication today, church demands that we collectively reaffirm our allegiance to King Jesus, and we remember that it is his blood alone that purifies us from all unrighteousness. Today's party requires our purification. Are you pure? Are you ready to be used to build up the body through this space? Secondly, I want you to notice as well, in addition to purification, that a day of true dedication also results in wonderful praise and wonderful thanksgiving. As you study the text, which has been a great joy in the last couple of weeks for me, you'll discover that the word singing is employed eight times in chapter 12 alone. The word thanksgiving is mentioned six times in Nehemiah chapter 12. The word rejoicing is mentioned in Nehemiah 12 seven times, and musical instruments are referenced in three different places. This was a loud celebration. It was beautiful. And the point of all of this joyful expression is that thankfulness to God is always a part of true dedication, true celebration. God's people ought to know how to party the best. Amen? It's interesting that Nehemiah notes that Ezra, the priest, personally led one half of the assembly and skilled singers and musicians up and around one side of the wall of Jerusalem, while Nehemiah trailed behind the other half of the Levites and the singers and the musicians on the other side. So you imagine maybe, maybe one aisle the two halves of the congregation completely walk around or on top of the city walls, and they converge in a space, a specific space, specifically. By the way, if you're an Old Testament reader, you should recognize this practice of walking around a particular space is a symbolic way of claiming that space for Almighty God and for His use. I think that's exactly what they're doing with the dedication of the walls. They are claiming these walls for the Lord and for His purposes. But where did the two choirs meet? Where did they intersect? Well, we're told where they intersected 
in verse 40. It says, so both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials stood with me. They met and they rejoiced, just as you and I are doing this morning, in the house of God, in the place where we praise and exalt his holy name. Why did they need to walk on top of the walls? Did they need to walk on top of the walls? That's a curious question. I actually think they needed to do that for one interesting reason. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 4 for a moment, verse 3, and we read this sinister statement. Nehemiah 4 verse 3, Then Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. We've had our own Tobias and Sanballats and Geshems who said, you know, it's really not a good idea to step out on faith in an economy like this. You know, we've tried this before and it just never really worked. We've had all sorts of nitpickers and naysayers uh, criticize and try to distract us from pursuing this particular project. And I think the people of Israel in their day went up on that wall to show their enemies a lesson. The choirs and the congregation walked up to show their opponents not their own strength, but the strength of their God who built the walls. The Bible says for us today in the New Covenant, Hebrews 13 verse 12, So Jesus also suffered, interestingly, outside the walls, outside the gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. True dedication demands purification. It requires praise and thanksgiving, but it also, friends, leads us to sharing in the reproach of Jesus. And that brings me to the third of our four points. A day of holy dedication leads God's people to a joyful sacrifice. A joyful sacrifice. Again, our our key verse this morning is verse 43 for good reason. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Not only was this not a quiet celebration, it was not a cheap celebration. In fact, you could really say the people put their money where their mouth was. Singing and sharing go hand in hand with God's praise. The text says that they offered great sacrifices. And I don't think that was just nice things they said verbally to the Lord. I think they dug down deep in their pockets to show God just how grateful their hearts were for his goodness. And God had made them rejoice with great joy. This is the pattern for the church today. That thankfulness and gratitude that costs nothing is worth nothing. Let me say that again. Gratitude and thanksgiving that costs us nothing is worth nothing. The dedication of the wall in Jerusalem saw great sacrifices, literally great sacrifices. This is exactly the text that Jim read for us before our offering. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6, 
Here's the point, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Why has God blessed us so much? For his glory, for our growth, for the good of those who need to hear Jesus' name. Paul continues and says in chapter 9, verse 11, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce in thanksgiving to God. For this ministry of service is not only supplying the needs of saints, but also is overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. God has indeed been lavishly rich and good and gracious to us. So shouldn't our response be, not equally, he's God after all, but representatively sacrificial and graceful and generous back to the Lord? In fact, maybe today, maybe this month, God would impress it upon one or more of your hearts, my heart, to set aside a sacrificial sum to give in gratitude for what God has done in this place. Don't discount what God will do through you and what God will do in you when you sacrifice greatly for his glory. The dedication of the wall in Jerusalem involved a great procession. It involved a needful purification. It involved a sacrificial act of praise. And finally this morning we see it involved obedient responses of provision. By the people of God. Look at verse 44. An act of obedient service. Because their work was just beginning. On that day men were appointed over the storerooms. The contributions. The first fruits and the tithes. To gather into them the portions required by the law. For the priests and for the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God. In the service of purification. As did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers. There were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And notice verse 47, the last verse of this chapter. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Today is not the finish line. It is the starting line. The last few verses of Nehemiah chapter 12 simply detail the provisions, the offerings. Basically everything that was necessary for the temple of God to be used for God's glory. Because here's the ironic thing. We're celebrating walls going up. But why do we have walls? The worship of the temple, the worship of the temple was the whole point behind the rebuilding of the walls. 
The dedication was all about their devotion to their God. Two chapters earlier in Nehemiah chapter 10, if you know the story, you may recall that the people in that chapter, after hearing the word of God, responded by making a great promise. They signed a real covenant saying that they would do their part. They would provide their offerings. They would give their gifts for the service of the temple. They state simply at the end of Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 39, we will not neglect the house of our God. Listen to me carefully. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about your gifts, who you are, everything God has made you and made you again in Christ to use you for the building of this body. Are you ready today to say, Lord, have it all. Have it all. Use all of me. Leave nothing left over, Lord. Multiply it as the loaves and the fishes. Use me up, Lord, for your glory, for the reaching of of this community with the gospel. Use me up. Are you and I ready to step out and dedicate Not just a building, but a body of believers to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the point of Nehemiah 12. Let's not let the party end today. The dedication of the walls in Jerusalem was a moment, a significant moment, but it was not an end to itself. The walls were rebuilt so that the worship of God and the ministry of the temple could go on. That's exactly why we've built those walls, because this place And his praise is what matters most. So what about us? Now that these beautiful new walls have gone up, indeed, it is appropriate to celebrate. Indeed, is it appropriate to give thanks for all that God has done for us. It is indeed appropriate to party. But we don't live at the party. We roll up our sleeves and we get to work. Amen? May we do so for his glory. Let's bow in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, the world would not imagine that a book such as this would contain such transformative truth, but it does. You have spoken, you have revealed your will for us in so many places, and now, Lord, as we have heard it, may your Holy Spirit enable us to obey it for your great glory and for our growth in godliness, as we ask this together in Jesus' name, amen.